Well, good morning, everybody. Um, glad you're here. Welcome to Safe Haven. My name is Troy Nicholson, and I'm one of the teaching pastors here. And we've been going through the book of Ephesians in, in, in a little journey. We've made it into chapter 2, and um, by God's grace, we'll make it through verses 1 through 10 today in our, in our brief time together. Um, so with that said, maybe, as we always do, just kind of a, a little glimpse of where the text is headed, maybe just by illustration. And, and today, I think that maybe that illustration, it's, it's a picture that I saw this week that ran across uh, my eye, and I think it really will express what we all want uh, just personally in life. And, and there it is. There it is. I, I ran across that. And I was like, man. And it was one of those gloomy days because y'all know it's been raining forever and ever. And, um, and I ran across this picture, and it, was, it just breathed life into me in and of itself. I, I think it expresses, you know, kind of what we all want out of life, right? I mean, there's, there's sunshine, there's friends, there's freedom, if you will. Um, I mean, this cat on the left has got a 40-inch vertical. I mean, <laughs> who don't want a 40-inch vertical, right? Lawler, that's what we all need for basketball, right? I mean, this, 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 this is it. This is what we want. This is what we hope out of life. We hope we get from our friends, from our church, from our work, from, from whatever. We get this, this feeling. And the truth is, when we feel grounded, which is what this series has been all about, and I think the book of Ephesians is about, when we feel grounded, we really feel this picture, don't we? We feel joy, we feel excitement, we feel love, we feel the sunshine, if you will, just kind of beaming down on us. But I'm going to show you another picture. And this other picture, I think, expresses not what we always want to feel personally, but what we do feel culturally. And, and this is it, kind of the contrast, isn't it? I mean, when we think about culture in and of itself, a lot of times it leads us to this feeling. Less sunshine, more gloom. We, we feel ethnic disunity in our world. We feel political division in our world. We feel financial roller coasters in our world. Uh, props to you if you're one of those people who put 50 bucks on GameStop when, when that went down this week. I did not. Um, but props to you if you did. Um, I, we feel all of these things. It's kind of that society that we're in right now that if you don't conform, there's the threat of just being... Well, you just get canceled. If you don't conform to whatever it is, you're done with. And so we feel this. We feel this despair. And the truth is that we do, even though we're Christians, live in this backdrop of, of disdain. And this is kind of what looms over in this. And, and it really is just the human predicament. It's the, the human problem. Um, and, and so we're constantly writing, as this next picture will show, just this teeter-totter, if you will. Does anybody else in this room feel this teeter-totter going on in life? You feel, I want to be happy, but I feel despair. I feel despair, but how do I get happy? And it's just this boom, bouncing back and forth over and over. And I feel like we feel it more and more. And Well, here's the deal. This is exactly what Paul is going to address today in Ephesians chapter 2. Squarely where he is going to land. And it can be summarized by something like this. How holiness, if you will fits in our level of contentment in life. And he's going to do it in an unexpected way, but it is super powerful in the way that he does it. He does it 
totally countercultural to what Dr. Phil would do. I don't even know if Dr. Phil's a real doctor, but what he would try to do, or Oprah, or whatever. He does it totally different than the way that any of us would do it. He doesn't tell us how great we are. He doesn't tell us how special we are. He doesn't tell us how capable we are. He doesn't tell us the ways that we can kind of pull ourselves up from the bootstraps. He doesn't even gloss over the cultural predicament that we find ourselves in. He doesn't do any of that. He actually does total opposite. And he's going to take us first deeper into our own grossness. Now you're like, Troy, hold on a second. If I feel the teeter-totter, how on earth am I going to get the sunshine by diving more into the gloom? Like that doesn't even make logical sense. Praise God that he's not always logical to our understanding of logic. And so he's going to take us deeper in, and I think that you'll see, as he takes us deeper into our grossness, he's actually going to express the freedom with which we can really, really experience in the sunshine of life, if you will. So let's just see how that plays out together for a few moments in Ephesians chapter 2, uh, verses 1 through 10. So here's the way that he begins. Again, <clears throat> if you are a guest, you just need to know this. Our church doesn't hop around topically. We don't kind of cherry pick. Well, we want to talk about this topic and just kind of grab it and wrap our own thoughts around it. We don't do that at Safe Haven. We go straight through books of the Bible, just believing that what God has for us in Scripture is way better than anything that mankind can come up with. And so that's where we're at in our study. So we're in Ephesians chapter 2. We'll look at verses 1 through 10 today. Um, So if you want to know where we're going to be at next week... Verse 11 is where we'll pick right back up. So here we go. Verse 1 says this, And you were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and we were by nature... Children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. Like I said, we're going to feel this teeter-totter, and he starts out squarely in the gloom. So basically, first, he gives us this pessimism. And the pessimism is this, this pessimism of who we really are as humans. If we're ever going to find contentment in life, if you don't get anything else I say... Hear this, you will never find contentment, grounding, and stability until you understand the depth of your grossness. And that's exactly where he starts out. Here's how gross we are as humans. And until we understand this depth of this real eternal problem, all we'll ever do is really just kind of offer earthly temporary solutions. And so he dives really deep, really fast. I guess what I'm trying to say is this. Until we understand how messed up, how let's, let's bring it on down to North Portian terms. Until we understand how jacked up we are, right? we will only offer stability through reasoning. We'll go, hey, to be stable, you just kind of need to reason better. Well, here's the problem. According to Paul, in our flesh, you can never reason correctly. And until we understand that depth, we'll just kind of offer stability through education, right? So something along these lines. I know that you're, in, you're kind of messed up and jacked up in life, so maybe just go read this book. How many times has somebody said that to you? I know you've got this going on. You just need to go read this book. And they hand you a book. But then what's the problem? They hand you another book. And then another book. No book will ever solve the problem. 
And so Paul is calling us to that, going, we're so jacked up that there's no human reasoning, no education. Why? Because you just can't trust human intellect, is what Paul's saying. In other words, until we understand this grossness, we'll just kind of offer people stability through striving. Well, if, if you really want to get your marriage settled or your life settled or your singleness settled or your job settled or your insecurity settled or your depression settled or your whatever, then we'll just kind of say things like this. We just need to work a little harder. Kind of pull yourself out of that. Right? And here's what Paul is saying. He starts out by saying, you're so gross and you're so jacked up, you can't do it. Look at these first words. You're You're dead. In your trespasses and sins. He, he takes us to this uttermost depth so that we'll understand we can never truly trust our own human efforts. They'll always lead us astray. And so to combat this, uh, this mindset of we can just kind of do things on our own, he, he, he really just laid out before us what it means that we are gross by nature in three really quick terms. And I hope you, hope you caught them. And this kind of illustrates what what Tyler's talking about just a minute ago. There's only so much depth we can go into in this moment. But when we kick off Sunday gatherings, if you can come, we'll take these way deeper into the minutiae. But we just don't have time for that. But here's what he says. To paint this picture of gloom and, and, and the problem or the predicament of mankind is this. He said, number one, man is dead. That's a pretty gross term, right? And what Paul's saying here is, is not similar to the uh, proverb or, or the figure of speech as in he or she is dead to me. That's, that's not what he's saying, right? So somebody ticks us off and we kind of go, well, he's, he's dead to me. That's, that's not what he's saying. He says, no, you're dead. As the street preacher in San Antonio, Texas said, um, while me and Julie Beth were walking around the, uh, what's, what's that big thing there? The... Uh, the Riverwalk, yeah. He, he was standing on the platform and he was screaming, preaching about Lazarus. And I, I love this. He, he was, Lazarus was dead. And nobody was listening to him. And he said, you don't hear me. Lazarus was dead. Stank dead. And I was like, oh, he's, well, that's pretty dead right there. Now, when, dead's one thing, but to be stank dead's a whole other thing. Right? And so it's not a figure of speech. Paul is saying, this is how jacked up you are. You are dead. Not figure of speech, but in sin, you're factually dead. You are a dead man walking. Before the 1960s, that's what they used to say of prisoners on death row. When the wardens would walk a prisoner who was on death row through the hallway, he knew and they knew that this person had nothing to live for, therefore they were the epitome of danger. And so they would scream aloud, dead man walking, dead man walking dead man walking. Not that the person literally couldn't move, but this person was headed to the death chamber. It was a dead man walking. That's how we are in our sin. Paul starts by saying, you are so messed up. You may be walking, but you are a dead man walking. That's the gloom with which we're in. Notice the other word that he said here. He said also, we're not only dead, but we're enslaved. We are intoxicated, we're drunk with the illusions of the world. We are stupefied by everything that the world tells us that we need and we want it. We're enslaved by it. So life literally becomes about chasing your dreams. 
or chasing the dreams that somebody else has for you. We're, we're constantly just trying to chase after, chase after, and it's just an illusion. It's the illusion that success will actually bring us something of value that will bring us contentment. Now, here's the problem. Every time you have chased something and found it, didn't it leave you wanting to chase something else and find it? It's, it's that illusion. It's David Copperfield, right? David Copperfield, and I, we have a, a lot of young people in our church, so a lot of people may not know who David Copperfield is, but back in 1986, David Copperfield made the Statue of Liberty disappear. I thought about showing that video this morning, and I was like, okay, if I show that, nobody will ever remember another thing that we saw. They'll be like, how did he do that? Live TV, 1986, David Copperfield, he's got a big giant stand right here and a big giant stand right here and a drape in the middle before everybody, millions of people. They have the cameras, they're showing the the scene, if you will. Imagine this is the drape and those are the stands. Statue of Liberty standing there. He draws that drape up, and then all of a sudden music starts playing, and it's real loud music, and it's got big strong bass and subwoofers and all these kind of things. It's like a lot of y'all's cars you had when you were 16 years old. <laughs> Boom, I mean, rattling, okay? I mean, it was, it, was, it was all this kind of stuff. And then all of a sudden he drops the drape, and the Statue of Liberty, for the love of all that is holy, is gone. And everybody's mystified. And for years, nobody knew how he did it. And then all of a sudden everybody goes, well, magic can't be real. It had to be an illusion what happens. And David Copperfield finally tells what he did. And in that moment when he raises the drape and they got the music going so loud, everybody, you know how it is when bass really starts hitting and you can feel it and it's, it's shaking you a little bit and all this kind of stuff. They took that stage that everybody was sitting on. They didn't know they were on a stage. And slowly it rotated while the beat was going so that they couldn't feel it. They dropped the screen and the giant staging on the side, it tilted just to the right angle where the staging was blocking the Statue of Liberty. And in that moment, everybody's going, how did he make it disappear? He didn't. It was just an illusion. The same with chasing your earthly dreams. They'll never satisfy. It may distract you a little bit and bring you a little bit of temporary contentment, but once the beat starts rocking and everything gets a little bit mundane again, it comes right back, doesn't it, leaving us longing for more. That's what Paul says. In your flesh, you are enslaved to the world's illusions. Don't be enslaved. And it drives us to gloom. So we're even sadder. And a lot of families will give up one another, sadly, for the sake of earthly illusions. Terrible. And even sadder is many will give up eternity for the sake of worldly illusions. So he says, this is how depressing it is and gloomy. You're dead. Number two, you're enslaved to everything that the world has to offer. Number three, you're condemned. They don't get much worse than that. We're condemned, Paul says. We're children of wrath is the word that he used there. Now, child of wrath is way different than a lot of you and my grandmas who used to chase us around the yard with a switch. Now, listen, I was scared of Grandmother Nicholson. I mean, she was about four foot seven, 103 pounds of raw terror. 
All right? And a lot of your grandmother was like that too. And we, I don't know, we, we'd take a plum, a plum at the wrong time, right? And she'd be like, grab me a switch. <laughs> and as soon as granny went after the switch, of course, we're running around the yard. You know why? Because those little switches could saw your legs off somehow. You know what I'm talking It's like, I can't walk, granny. A child of wrath is way worse than granny and a switch. It's, it's, it's eternal. And this is what he says here. That we're condemned by nature, children of wrath... And so, this is God's perfect response of destruction to all unrighteousness. And there'll be no time out in the end. There'll be no just kind of taking your toys away. There'll be no lecture. He says, in this gloomy state, we are destined for destructive wrath. Again, not of granny, but of God himself. And so as Oswald Chambers said, Oswald Smith said, I'm sorry, this will be on the screen. He says, the heart of the human problem is the problem of the human heart. In our flesh, we're dead. In our flesh, dead men can't choose. Dead men can't wake up. Dead people are dead. So gloom is our lot. And... You'll never find true freedom unless you understand what you're freed from. It's where Paul begins. Here's the deal. When we grasp that type instability, here's what I see on social media a lot these days. My 401k is rocked. What am I going to do? My car tires broke down. What am I going to do? My kid didn't get picked for the party or that team. What am I going to do? And we believe this is the lot in life. And if I can answer those questions, I I find true freedom. You know what I don't hear a lot of times? In my flesh, I'm a child destined for wrath. What am I going to do? And until we understand the depths of our gloom, we'll never understand true freedom. This is where Paul begins. But when we do grasp... That type instability, when we do that, these next verses will explode off the page into our hearts. Let's go. Verse 4. All of that is your lot, dead, enslaved, condemnation, but God. As the youth minister said one time, um, <clears throat> just this stupid youth minister who, who didn't really know how to guard his tongue a lot of times... He said, uh, that's, this is the best but in all the Bibles, but God, in this moment, but God. This is you in flesh, but God, being rich in mercy. Because of the great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our trespass, He made us alive together with Christ, by grace you've been saved. And He raised us up with Him and and He seated us with Him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages He might show the immeasurable riches of His grace and kindness towards us who believe. Holy moly. You want to talk about the teeter-totter, that'll shift your gear into happy mode pretty quick right there. 
When you understand the, the depths of who we are but God in all of these things. So Paul goes from, this is the pessimism. Now look at the optimism. So the optimism is not who we are in our nature, but the optimism is who Christ makes us to be if you're a believer. And so this gets real good really fast. So let's chew through it. It's kind of like um, I went on a trip to Tannehill about the time that David Copperfield made the Statue of Liberty disappear. And growing up in Hueytown, we went to Tannehill. We're walking around. It comes to lunchtime, and everybody's grabbing their lunches. And I realized Troy Nicholson has forgotten his lunch. <laughs> I was, it was a horrible moment, and I thought, okay, well, I'll just sit here. And I sat there, and I'll never forget it. Miss Ganaway, Brad Ganaway's mom, walks up to me, and she says, Well, Troy, where's your lunch at? And I said, Well, Miss Ganaway, I didn't, I didn't bring my lunch. And she goes, Well, here, you can have my lunch. And so as a, as a real humble, kind kid, I said, thank you, I'll take that. Right? <laughs> and so I took it. And, and in that moment, listen, I didn't have anything to offer. I didn't have a piece of bread and some peanut butter and jelly to slap me together a sandwich. I didn't have no turkey. I didn't have mayonnaise. I didn't have mustard because you got to have mustard. I didn't have any of that to make a sandwich. I didn't have a bag to make a chips. I didn't have an apple. I couldn't just go pick one off the tanny hills. They don't have apple trees there. That's why, right? I didn't have nothing. But you know who did? Miss Ganaway. And she came in and she gave me her lunch. That's the optimism of you are gloom, but God has got your lunch. That's where the text goes. And so he says this, In your flesh you're dead, but what did he say? The gospel makes us... It's on the screen. What did he say? Alive! Right? In your flesh you're dead, but Christ makes us alive. Christ makes us kick around like a newborn. I mean, that's the picture in the Greek that's going on there. Right? So my kids, all of them come out of the, uh, the womb, and all of a sudden, every single one of them, they just, they just they don't know what to do. And that's who you are in Christ, made alive from deadness. He takes the heart of stone, He gives it a heart of flesh. In Genesis, we're born, but then in our sin, we become gloom. But then in the gospel, made alive, all fresh and anew. He recreates, He remakes us through the gospel. But not only in the gospel are we made alive, what else to number two did he say? We are not enslaved, but we're now exalted. This is what the text says. He made us alive together with Christ. He made us alive together. He exalts us. He, he not only breathes life into us, but then he sticks around to raise us up even more. I saw an illustration of this yesterday at the wrestling tournament. It was great. It couldn't have been any better. I mean, it was... Anyway, okay, whatever. <clears throat> Two dads. Same match. I guess it was dads because if it was a coach that treated my child like this, there wouldn't be a wrestling match. We would go straight up WWF in, in a heartbeat after what happened. One match. One child loses. One child wins. One dad is screaming at the child the whole time to do these certain things, blah, blah, blah. It's not that the child is not listening. It's just that the child is wrapped up in a pretzel and can't do what dad's saying do. All right? This is what's going on. So he's sitting there and the dad's screaming, you're not listening. And the, and the kid's like, I can't breathe. You know, it's, this is what's going on, okay? And so the wrestling match gets over. Same match. Same match. All right? Here's the kicker. 
The kid that was pent up ends up winning the match. He flips the kid over, pins him, matches over with. Dad, who's screaming, walks over, raises up his child, snatches him up, pulls him to the side, and sits there and lights into him. All right? He grabs him. He does lift him up. The child that loses, the dad walks up to that child, grabs some kids in tears. He gets down on his knees. He's in his face. And he's like, it's okay. It's no big deal. You'll get the next one. And I'm sitting there going, yes! This is it! In our flesh, there's all kind of people who will grab us and yank us and and pull us to the next level only to tell us how much of a, a piece of trash we are Do better, be better, whatever. But there's only one who will lift you up, exalt you, and say, It's okay. Your treasure's not here anyway. You are a treasure. Let me clean you up and exalt you with me. That's what Christ offers. It's a whole different level of contentment. In Christ, you can lose every single match on earth. And it doesn't matter because your Father will lift you up and say, You're my treasure. You're my prize. I exalt you with Christ. That's sunshine and sprinkles and spirit fingers. Not only does He make us alive, not only does He exalt us, but the gospel seats us as family is where the text goes on to say, I told you, this is gummy good drop goodness. Not only does He make us alive with Christ, He raises us up with Him, verse 6, and seats us with Him in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Do you know when you're family with someone else? And I don't mean just like family, like blood and that kind of thing. You know, I'm not talking about DNA. Do you know when you're really family with somebody else? You know when it is, Right? It's when you walk in their house and you don't have to ask where the bathroom is. You're eating dinner with them and you don't ask them if you can have seconds. You just scoop it up. You don't ask them if you can take your shoes off. You just walk in and you just kick them off. Now I've lost my shoe. You don't ask them any of those questions. Why? Because your family... You sit with them as their own child, their own brother, their own mother, their own sister. It's like Bone walking in our house. Y'all know him as Camden, but his name is really Bone. Everybody call him Bone from now on. Camden walks in our house, and he just starts eating stuff. And then he don't stop eating. And I'm like, Bone, listen, man. Twelve Slim Jims is enough for anybody for a year, right? But it's because he's family. In our nature, we're gloom. In Christ, he not only exalts us up, but he seats us with him in heavenly places. That's who you are in Christ. That's stability. And this is the sunshiny news of the imputed righteousness of Christ. A fancy word for what the gospel means. That Christ takes His righteous blood and transfuses it into our hearts and brings us to life 
Why? Because we're dead in our sin. And so it's just like all the spouses get the wealth of their spouse as well. We too get everything that Christ earned, not because of anything we did, but because of what He did for us. And when we grasp that type of grounding, the next verses explode into life. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. 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 I want to make sure that we speak to every little section at Safe Haven. Salvation is not your doing. Salvation, not your doing. Salvation, not your doing. Stop eating my Slim Jims. Salvation, not your doing. I didn't make that up. It's not your doing. It's the gift of God. It's not a result of works so that no one can boast. We are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And I think most at SHC grasp this. But maybe there's some in here who just need a reminder. When I was growing up at VBS... I'll never forget this. I don't know why. You know, just something stick in your brain. I remember at VBS one year, the, the person was sharing the gospel, and, and all the elements of the gospel was great. And then came the invitation time, right? And, and so he gave the illustration. He said, listen, salvation is like a check. And God writes out the check, and all you've got to do Come up here and sign the check. Right? Sounds great. Well, it's VBS. I want all the gold stars and I want the lollipops at the end of the day. So by gosh, what I gotta sign it because I want my, you know, I want my little sticker at the end of the day, right? And many people believe that's really what salvation is. God did all these things, and all you gotta do is just come up here and sign the check. Problem is what that text just said. The problem is you're dead, and dead men and women can't sign a check. And at the end of the day, if you can sign the check, then somehow you can walk away going, Thank God I signed the check and beat your chest. And he's going, No, 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 no. You're in gloom, you're dead, and you'll never find true grounding unless you understand the one who not only wrote the check, but the only one who can sign the check. Another illustration that's popped off a lot of times is salvation is like you drowning in the ocean. And here comes God, and He pulls up with a boat, and He's got a raft, and He flings that raft out there to you. And He says, listen, you can be saved If you'll do what? Grab the raft. What did the text say? You're dead. You don't have the ability to grab the raft. 
You're at the bottom of the ocean, fish bait, bloated, sunk. That's how gloomy, depressing it is. And the only way you'll ever find grounding is when you realize that Christ jumped out of the boat, swam to the bottom of the ocean, drug you to the top, breathed life into you, spit the disease out of you, threw you on the shore, and then drowned in your place. That's the gospel. Nothing that you do, everything that Christ does... And when you give your life, if you will, to that, true grounding makes sense because all of life is you wrote the check and signed the check, so therefore I'll spend it however you tell me to spend it. Why? Because it's your check. You drug my bloated body out of the water and breathed life into me. Where you go, I'll go. Why? Not because I'm trying to earn the breath that you can give me. It's because I want to worship you for the breath you did give me. That's grace. That's the gospel. That is true sunshine and sprinkles. If you find yourself being a believer in this room today, It is not because you signed the check. It is not because you grabbed the life raft. It's because God awakened your heart to understand that He wrote the check and signed it for you. It's because He awoken your heart to understand that He jumped in and died in your place and gave you life. It's all that He does and nothing that we do. And that is why it is called grace. It's grace. And grace is the only thing that will bring true life-giving stability. That'll take us from gloom to sunshine. And we've got to wrap it up. All that Jesus earned in holiness is given to believers. So, if you're a believer, the question is, was Christ righteous? If he was, you are too. Was Christ buried? So are you. Was Christ raised? So are you. Was Christ glorified? So are you. Was Christ loved of the Father? So are you. And that is exactly what drove the hymnist to write the great hymn. Say it aloud with me. Grace, grace, God's grace, grace that is greater Then what? All our sin. That's the scandal of the gospel church. And again, I know the majority of you guys know that because we try to preach the gospel in its purest form biblically every single Sunday. But there's a chance someone who's never heard the gospel in that way. And you somehow think that you've got to do it, measure, earn up. Pray the right prayer. Walk the right aisle. Get baptized. That's why you've probably been baptized four times. Because you keep thinking that somehow baptism will save you. It's what Christ did for you. It's why some of you have walked the aisle 15 times. It's why some of you lay in the bed at night praying the sinner's prayer every single night. Because you've not been released to the joy of what Christ has done. And you keep going, all right... I'm going to pray it right this time. 
Stop! Believe. Repent of your sin. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Hang on a second. Do not walk away here going, that guy said that we shouldn't repent of our sin. If that's what you walk away with, you do not understand the gospel and you did not hear me correctly. We repent. That's not what I'm saying. But you'll only be freed when you're enamored with Christ and less of yourself. Even in repentance. Why did God choose to bring life and stability through grace instead of works? Andrew, you better walk up here or I'll just keep going. Come on. You're hesitant. Why did Christ choose to bring life and stability through grace instead of works? Why? So that for all eternity, we'll rejoice and marvel at the trophy case of the Son, Jesus Christ, and not any trophy that we can bring to the table. That's why. So I'm going to end where I began, with the exact same slide, but with something superimposed over this slide that I think summarizes everything we just studied in verses 1 through 10. Believer, you are in trouble the moment that Christ's work becomes insufficient, which ain't going to happen. But until then... You are grounded and freed to experience the sunshine of Christ's hope, the freedom of Christ's love, the energy of Christ's blessing, the joy of Christ's peace, and the 40-inch vertical from Christ's embrace. Let's pray together. God, we all long for grounding on this earth. Stability, security. Thank you for just one more reminder out of Ephesians that we'll never find it on our own. Thank you for psychologists. Thank you for doctors. Thank you for all of those great graces. Thank you for all those things. But today, may we be doubly reminded that our hope ultimately doesn't lie in them as great as therapists are. <laughs> but thank you that true contentment begins and ends in our understanding of what you have done for us that we could not do for ourselves. But God... <laughs>